Welcome to the Awakened Collective, where we explore the topics of love, spiritual consciousness, and our divine purpose on this planet. Join us as we uncover the truth that our thoughts shape our reality. Welcome, everybody. So glad to be here tonight. Getting rid of my first podcast jitters is a good thing. It's the first time for everything. And um, I'm just really grateful. I'm humbled. I'm honored to be here. If you knew my story, you'd know it was a miracle that I'm here. Um, And I'm sure many of you have similar stories. My heart is full tonight. Um, There's so much I want to share with you. And First off, I just want to say that it's about keeping it real. I think I named this podcast that just minutes before we got started tonight because I've spent decades keeping it fake. And um, I don't want to live that way anymore. And I think there are some of you out there who are with me on that. Keeping it real. So honesty is important to me today. Vulnerability is important. Transparency is important. And I'm going to do my best to be all those things. Uh, because I, I think it's important. I'm first to want to say I'm no expert on any one topic. I am a fellow sojourner. I'm on this journey with you. And it's a spiritual journey for me. It's been a journey of awakening. Um, it's been life-changing for me. And the things that I've learned along the way, I simply just want to share You know, I I believe that we all have a story to share. We all have experiences to share. And when I think about that, you know, the reason that I want to share those things is because I want more. And I think that we can't give something away that we don't have. And what we do have, we can't keep if we don't give it away. So I want to give it away. And I'm hoping that throughout the course of these podcasts that maybe something will spark inside of you to start giving more of your story away and your experiences away. You know, um, one of the things that I think about is, when I think of experiences, is a story I heard of a, a professor that had someone who loved mangoes, loved the taste of mangoes, get up in front of a group of about eight to ten people who had never had a mango before and describe to them so that they could get it what a mango tasted like. Think about that for a minute. If you've had a mango, I was late in life when I had my first mango. My grandkids love them, but it was rather late for me. And um, I can imagine what it must have been like for that person to try to explain to this this group of people that had never had a mango what it tasted like. It's impossible. And the reason it's impossible is that you have to experience it. But once you experience it, then it's very difficult at times to put into words to somebody else what that experience was like for you. My life has been filled with those kinds of experiences, and it's been frustrating at times because you want to tell the world when you've had this experience, and it's so hard in our finite English language to put the words together to truly get it across to someone else what you've experienced. My hope is that you'll be having some more of those types of experiences along this journey as well. 
So I think about that giving, you know, when we said that, when I mentioned that we give things away and as we give things away, we make room for more. Um, you know, I don't remember algebra much. It wasn't something that I was passionate about in school. I don't know about you. Um, and because of that, I probably couldn't do an algebraic equation if my life depended on it today. I've forgotten it. But when I'm passionate about something, I want to hang on to it. I want to remember it. So if I was passionate about algebra, I probably would have taught my kids about it. I would have taught my, probably now be teaching my grandkids about it. And it would certainly be foremost in my mind to be able to share that information. But what I am passionate about, I want to hang on to today. Just like the teacher who teaches algebra hangs on to that because he or she is passionate about it. I want to hang on to what I have today. And I understand in my knower, and you're going to hear me use that term a lot, my knower. I think I refer to it as my gut. I know that I've got to give it away. And if you liken it to maybe a body of water that has, you know, it's got to have an inflow and an outflow for that water to be fresh. If it only had an inflow, it would only be a matter of time before that water in that pool would become stagnant. If it only had an outflow, it's going to dry up and be really bad. I'm remembering a pond growing up near me called Reed's Pond when I was a kid, and it was a pretty bad pond. It often had warnings out because people would still swim in it. But to keep things fresh and to keep them circulating, I need to have an inflow and an outflow. And this opportunity presented itself it was funny, I, um, I had someone, a couple of people mentioned to me, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And um, Danny was here with me today. I, you know, I had a lot of questions because I had never done one of these. I've done Facebook Live events, but never a podcast. But what, um, what clinched it for me was a friend of mine who's in a marketing course with me who just one night said, Rick, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And this person doesn't know me. She's like, you have a podcast voice. So I thought I'd give it a try. And that's why I'm here tonight. So I wanted to get started tonight with a, get this right out of the way off the top. And that's the word God. I talk a lot about God. And I've had folks in my Facebook group who have commented, uh, you had me until you said the word God. And I commented back, I get it. I 100% get it. You know, we assign meaning to words and as I said already, we don't have an infinite English language that we can describe things that specifically, but the word God has a lot of connotations for a lot of people. And you can go back in history and you can see the Inquisition, the witch trials, all kinds of things that happened in the name of God and even religion today and religious wars all over the place in the name of God and people getting injured and hurt. And I'm sure there are some folks listening to this or watching this on Facebook now who have been injured in that environment. I'm one of them. Um, I have experienced that, so I get it. I truly do. I understand. I am also a recovering alcoholic, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic today, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and it's part of who I am, and it's part of my story, and I'm sure I'll be sharing a lot of that along the way, but one of the things that I found so freeing when I came into the rooms of AA several years ago was Someone telling me that I needed to have my own conception of God or higher power or universe or spirit that I could call God by whatever name I chose. There was a time in my life when I would have said that is blasphemous. <laughs> how, does you, how do you just come up with what you want God to be? 
that's just not right. And I would have shut that door in a nanosecond. Well, the more I thought about it, and I've had the opportunity now to work with lots of folks in the program, and I've seen lists of what people have put down for what they thought and what they would want their God to be. And everything on that list I could find in scriptures in the Bible and in and, and books from some of the most profound spiritual teachers of kindness, love, unconditional love, mercy. And you know why it was so clear to me that that list was coming from inside people. Because that's where the God that I know today exists, is inside. So I wanted to get take that off the table if we could, at least ask you to be willing to be willing to rethink, perhaps, your conception of God. Believe me, I know you've heard a lot of things. I know you've had teachers and people in authority and parents and all kinds of things told to you or instructed or taught um, that you have found issue with. I have too. I have too, my friend. But I'm asking that you would just keep an open mind and an open heart and be willing to recognize that perhaps there are some things that we have grabbed onto that aren't true. I believe we've known the truth since we came to this planet. It's inside of us. And what's happened is the clouds have gotten in the way. You know, the sun is always shining. And if we consider the sun to be truth, let's call the sun as truth. It's always shining. Now, outside here today in Jackson, Mississippi, it hasn't been shining because it's been really cloudy. But that does not mean the sun isn't shining. It hasn't been bright outside, but that sun is still shining. Have you ever had experience where you've just had an aha moment and the lights went off, but it wasn't like it was new information and yet it resonated with you as truth? It was like, I've always known this. I've just not been able to put it into those words, but that agrees with my knower, my gut. I'm not going to be telling you anything you don't already know. My heart's desire is that maybe I will be able to help remove some of the clouds from what's been there all along. That truly is my desire. So I want to talk about our innocence. I'm sure that when you have looked or had the wonderful opportunity to look upon a newborn baby, you saw that new baby as innocent, pure as the driven snow. I believe that's how we arrived here on this planet. Innocent. And what happens over time is that we are like sponges. I mean, if you have kids out there, you know kids are like sponges. My kids were like, what's that? What's this? Why does it do it this way? Why does, you know, all the questions. They're sponges. And yet we're sponges with amnesia. We don't even, we don't remember being born. And we've also forgotten the source from which we came. And I'm not talking about our mothers. I'm talking about a divine source that we came here from. And so over time, 
Though we are innocent, we're collecting information. And that information, you know, we, we of course, we're going to listen to our parents. You know, I remembered an incident as I was just thinking about this, um, this podcast. When my kids were little, they were outside my former mother-in-law's house playing in the sprinkler in the middle of the summer, having a ball, laughing, running around, playing as kids do. And one of my kids got this idea that I'm going to pick the sprinkler up and I'm going to chase my brother and sister around with it. And in so doing, my mother-in-law's house was open. The window, the door was open and it was the screen door. And as they turned the sprinkler to one of the kids, the water went in the house. And she was not very happy and came outside and gave my middle daughter, I believe it was, a paddle and told her how wrong that was. Think about what that does to someone that age. Having fun, innocently playing, wanting to splash your brother, and the water accidentally goes in the house, and you walk away thinking, what I did was bad. And we collect these memories, and they form how we see ourselves, how we see our world, and it goes on for a lifetime until we wake up until we become the witness and recognize what's been going on all along. That we have been collecting these things and believing those people in authority, whether it's preachers, teachers, parents, brothers, sisters, you know, it could be anyone, the media, society in general. We're collecting information and we're using that information and believing, well, they know more than I do. So therefore, it must be true. Even though it's diametrically opposed to what we know in our gut. We believe because someone with authority, with letters after their name, someone that must know more than we do, a minister who's been to seminary school, they must know more than I do, so I must be wrong and they must be right, and therefore I must take what they're saying to be true. And it takes time. It takes a toll. I'm with you. I've been in years of unlearning. It hasn't been easy, but it has been so worth it. So I wanted to share that with you as far as our innocence, because I think at least it helps me to stay out of judgment You know, when I look at other people or I see someone's behavior that doesn't quite sit right with me, who am I to judge? Do I know the environment they were born into? Do I know all of the things that they have listened to and believed to be true for themselves? All the things that they have collected to paint the picture of how they see themselves and their world? And not just them. I would have to know all the generations that preceded them, everything that went on that caused them or brought them to this place where they are behaving the way that they're behaving. It certainly helps me to extend grace. We are all on a journey, and we are not all in the same place. Not one place is better than another. I'm learning how to see things that way today. Not good and bad, it just is what it is. 
and staying in love and kindness always. I had a dream um, many years ago. I was, I think, in my early 20s. And in my dream, um, my grandparents had passed away. Now, they were still living at the time, but in my dream, they had passed away. And we were all charged with going over to their condo in Quincy, Massachusetts, and collect their belongings, put things in boxes, clean up their place. And in my dream, I was about the same age. I was in my mid-20s with my siblings cleaning up the house and um, was in the kitchen putting some dishes in a box. And I heard something come from the door that led to the basement. And so I went over and the basement had a slide lock on it on the door and I unlocked the door and opened it. And there was a little boy standing there crying. Looked like he had been there for months. Absolutely filthy tear-stained face, shaking. And I can't tell you the compassion and love that overwhelmed me in that moment. I began to cry. And I just wrapped my arms around that kid and I, I said, oh my goodness, what happened? How did you get here? And he looked at me and said, I got lost. And no one would open the door. I clung to that little kid. I fell on the floor in tears, telling him how much he was loved. And when his face turned to me, it was my face. It was my face from my second grade picture in elementary school. That was the beginning of my, just the beginning of my understanding and feeling again in my knower, the love that my divine creator has for me. And if I can relay the tiniest bit of that in some way over the course of these podcasts to you, I will be eternally grateful. Now, the reason that that was particularly profound for me is that there were a lot of not-so-nice things that went on in my grandparents' house. And so I really do think that was the beginning of my getting lost. But I'm no longer lost. And not one thing in my life has been wasted. And I'm going to be sharing some things with you today that I want to first say, please, I'm not looking for sympathy. I don't want to hear any boo-hoos. Everything, every single thing that has gone on in my life has worked together for my good. While there are many things I will never or would never want to relive, as I sit here today, I would not change a single one. Not a single one. So in light of being honest, vulnerable, and transparent, and with this being the first podcast, I wanted to share my story with you. In future podcasts, I will hope to have guests. Some, I have some wonderful people in mind um, to share with you as well, so you won't be just sitting with me. But I thought for this first one, so that you could get to know me a little better, I would share my story. So I was born um, in the early 61, 1961, in Boston, Massachusetts. I was the fifth child out of six um, And it was a Catholic family. I like to say my family was 
religious, um, musical, loving, alcoholic, quite dysfunctional. And I'm sure I'm not alone. There's a lot of those stories out there. So I was born into this family that was religious, and from the earliest age that I can remember, I believed that there was some, something out there, some God out there, you know, and I wanted to do all the right things. My parents were instructing me. I had priests instructing me. I remember a priest coming to my house when I was, I think, seven, because I was going to get my first Holy Communion, and I had to have certain prayers memorized, and I was so excited to be able to do that. And he came to my door, and I aced that thing with flying colors. <laughs> so at an early age, I believed there was some power out there greater than me. But life wasn't the greatest. At a very early age, I think around the age of five or six, I knew that I was different. Um, I found myself enjoying more hanging out with the girls in the playground than playing football on the field with the boys. Um, and though I didn't have a word for it, I knew years later that even at that age, I knew that I was gay. I did not want to be. So for the first, gosh, first 19 years of my life, I guess, um, actually went on much longer than that. But the self-loathing and the self-hatred and the shame, who do you talk about in the mid-60s about something like that? Um, but it was pretty obvious, and I don't remember anyone coming out and saying it exactly, but it was pretty obvious that it was not an acceptable way to be. So I just looked at myself as being broken um, and different and internalized all of that. Um, and it was a struggle, but I somehow thought that things were going to change and everything was going to be okay and God was going to somehow gonna fix me over time. I'm going to ask Danny if you'd just bring that music down just a little bit more. Um, so, you know, uh, elementary school and high school, they were a challenge for me um, because there weren't a lot of people that I could talk to about any of that. And so I kept that all to myself. Um, and then uh, we had some dynamics in our family where, as I said, we were a Catholic family and I had a brother who... Um, had become a born-again Christian and left the Catholic Church for the Baptist Church and told the rest of us we were all going to hell. And he would hand us these pamphlets and tell me that I needed to read them. And I remember one day I would read this pamphlet and I'd be like, what are you trying to tell me? I'm like, what, if, what about people that are living in a, in a faraway land that will never get this pamphlet? You know, how are they going to hear this? And he would be like, you don't worry about them. You just worry about you and your soul. I didn't like him very much at that point in time. And um, shortly after all of this happened, I was in two very serious car accidents, two weeks in a row in the same intersection and totaled two vehicles. Now, I was a high school kid, and I was involved in a lot of smoking pot and partying and all those kinds of things. But those accidents um, totaled my father's car the first week, two weeks later, in the same intersection totaled my mother's car. Both times, someone ran a red light, although who knows at this point in time. Um, I remember going home after those accidents in tears and um, feeling horrible that, you know, 
the first one was bad enough, but then to have no car left in the family because I just felt like uh, pretty bad about that. And um, so between that, those accidents, and, and having the question arise in me, what if I had died? Is there something more to this life than what I'm experiencing now? Is there something else? Um, and, and then, of course, the thoughts of my brother and the things he was talking to me about, but I didn't want anything to do with that. I get this phone call from my friend Skip. Now, Skip, if you knew him, was, a, was a more of a partier than I was. And um, we would, that's all we ever did together. He called me one night and invited me to come to this group. They were going to be having a, a, he called it a Bible study. And of course, alarm bells went off in my head because all I could think about was my brother. Um, and he encouraged me to come. I didn't want to go. But he said something to me before I hung up the phone that changed my mind. And it was simply, Rick, I love you. Now, if you knew Skip, you would know that that was not him. And I knew that something had happened to that kid. And so between the accidents, the craziness of my brother and this, I'm like, what have I got to lose? I'm going to go. So I went. And I sat and listened. For the first time in my life, a message about a God that was totally different than what I understood. See, I thought God loved me, but loved me when I behaved a certain way. And, you know, when I didn't behave a certain way, he was removed from me or had his back turned toward me. Now, I want to just say that, to me, God is spirit. I don't think of God as male or female. In fact, if you need a scriptural reference, there's one that says in Christ, there is no male or female, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, for we are all one spirit. I see God as spirit today. And so I understood that in this meeting, and I felt it. It came over me, that overwhelming sense of love, that same feeling I had in that dream when I wrapped my arms around that kid that ended up being me. I felt in that room, and something changed in me. Now, mind you, I went home that night. I had to get a ride home because we had no vehicle in the house. And when I walked in the door, my mother looked at me and said, Oh, no. What happened now? Because she could see that something had happened by the look on my face. Um, I said, Mom, don't worry. There were no other cars to wreck. But something happened to me tonight, and I feel like I met God? Well, don't you know that my brother overheard that conversation and came running out into the kitchen to find out what was going on? And I said, Bob, I, I, I think I met God. God, tonight, something happened to me tonight. And he's like, what are you talking about? Where did you go? Where was it at? And I said, well, it was this Bible study. They rented a space from a karate school hall. He's like, a karate school hall? You're not in a church. That's not anything to do with God. You're in a cult. And my heart sank. You know, I was a kid. I'm like, what if this wasn't real? What if I have just grabbed onto something else that didn't mean anything? And what if this is not what I thought it was? What if I'm in a cult? And my mind, you know how we get in our head, my mind started going a million miles a minute. And I just walked away. I went into my bedroom. And I sat on my bed in mental turmoil. 
and I had a spiritual experience. And again, like the mango, I can't put it in adequate words. But as I sat there, all up in my head, in torment, it was as if I had some kind of telepathic thought. And the only way I can describe it, it was like a coin and a bank. But it, the coin went into my head. It's the only way I can explain it. And what I heard in my knower, in my gut, was this. See how much you love me already that you would be this upset to think you've lost me. I am here. And um, I had a peace come over me like I can't explain that either. And I went to sleep that night. And the next morning when I woke up, my mom was planning to take me to the mall to get some clothes for school. And I remember walking into that mall and asking my mother, please look at my feet. Are they touching the ground? She thought I was crazy, of course. <laughs> and I kept looking at my feet. I'm like, Mom, I don't feel the ground under my feet. Thankfully, she didn't take me to a psych ward. But something had changed. The other evidence I had that something had changed is, as I said, I was a pot smoker. And I totally lost the desire for any of that in an instant. That instant, I never went back to that. Something profound had happened. But my journey was just beginning. I really still had the desire for God to fix me, as I said. Um, I went headlong into church because that's all I knew to do. I... Um, got involved, very involved in a church and Bible study. I went to school for music, so I became choir directors and music directors. I helped out with the kids, and I got married. I told my wife before we were married that I was more attracted to men than women, believed that it was wrong, that God was going to fix me. We believed together for that. I um, became a pastor. I was associate pastor for seven years in a church and then had my own church because I was sure that that would fix me. After, gosh, I would have to say it's about 19 years um, into my marriage and into my pastorate um, that I began to try to cover up the feelings I was having by having a few glasses of wine here and there. Now, I come from a long line of alcoholics. Um, didn't think there was any issue at first, but it seemed to help me deal with the feelings of guilt and shame and the division that was in me. Um, you know, I believe that the God I understand today wants me to bring my whole self, and there was no way for me to bring my whole self to anyone in that state where I was divided. I was not my whole self. I had a whole congregation of people who loved me. And yet when I looked out over that congregation, I would say, yes, but if you knew me, 
So I never really knew. It's no way to live, folks. And um, that began my journey of coming to the truth and speaking my truth and living my truth and my authentic self. And it was not easy. I stepped down from the pastorate. I got separated. Um, and that resulted in a lot of domino effects. My now former wife um, had a nervous breakdown, was not able to work. Um, we went into filed bankruptcy, lost her home to foreclosure. And all I could think of was my decisions were doing all of this and affecting people that I loved. But how could I continue to live a life that wasn't true? I'm so grateful that those days are behind me, that life is good today. But it was rough, and it also brought me into a place of darkness where my drinking took off. Um, after the separation and heading into divorce, the one bright light was that I met someone. And I finally found out at 41 years old what it felt like to be in love. The journey we took together was an amazing one. Kevin was now with me who was struggling with alcohol and he was sober and he was actually a supervisor in a drug and alcohol rehab facility. Um, life was wonderful. Things had settled out from all the turmoil. The kids actually moved in with us. Two of our kids moved in with us. We traveled everywhere together. So much laughter in the walls of that home and it was wonderful. Um, Kevin had a work-related injury that he had had a um, couple of surgeries for and was due to have another one, was in still a considerable amount of pain and was on prescribed pain medication for several years before I met him, taking it as prescribed. Um, eight years into our relationship, one night, we were getting ready to go away for a long weekend to the beach, and he was helping a neighbor with her lawn in pain and asked her if she had anything for pain because he had run out of his prescription medication a couple of days earlier and she gave him time-release morphine. I don't think he knew what he was taking, but I woke up the next morning and he did not. Needless to say, um, that's when I really hit bottom and my drinking took off to a great extent and if it were not for my middle daughter, who was also in the program, this is a family disease, folks. I have two kids that are in recovery, have been sober and clean and sober for years. But I'm grateful my daughter was there to help me and get me into the program at that time. I was in grief counseling for two years. Um, so while I stayed sober, I don't think I actually got the full concept of sobriety. I did all the things I was told to do, and I stayed sober. Uh, my life did get better. Um, but I don't think I truly understood the things that I understand today. Um, so I uh, moved here to Mississippi from Massachusetts in 2012. Kevin died in 2010, 2012. I got an opportunity to move here, take a, a, a promotion with the company I was with. And um, I decided to do that. My kids were on their own growing up, and it was time for me to make a change. So I came here to Mississippi, a very 
conservative state from a liberal one, so it was a little difficult the first year, but I met some wonderful people. Um, and life began to improve. I met another wonderful person. By the way, I wanted to share something with you. One of the things, one of my first tattoos I got here on my arm was from Kevin. Um, it was his last note that he wrote to me a couple of weeks before he died that said, Rick, I thought I never had purpose, ability to love, truly love, or deserved it. Then I prayed, and God sent me you. You are truly my world. Love your husband, Kevin. And a few years after being here in Mississippi, I met someone a wonderful man who I am now married to who actually saw that on my arm that might have scared most people away and he looked at me the first time he saw that and he said, God has answered that prayer twice. So I am happily married today and um, what I will tell you is that a little over four years ago, because the person that I married was also familiar with alcoholism, so we found ourselves both with that disease. And one morning after a three-day bender with the house a mess, not knowing if we had properly cared for the animals, oh, man, so grateful those days are gone, um, one day at a time. But I remember just looking at, at Glenn and saying, we are going to die. And our kids are going to be left with this mess they're going to come in and find us and have to clean all this up. We cannot live like this anymore. And a light went off in him. And we made the decision to get help. And we got back into AA and have not looked back. Our lives have transformed. And it's really what catapulted this whole spiritual journey. I have so much... Um, that I want to share. You know, God led me into AA, and AA led me back to this God of my understanding today. My understanding. It's not the God that I was taught when I was growing up. It's not the God that I heard a lot coming from preachers. But it's the God that I know, that I've always known, that God that's in me. You know, we read, you read in scriptures that the kingdom of God is in you. And that is the truth for me today, and I know it to be true. I know today that I have never, we have never, never, for not a nanosecond, been separated from our Creator. Never. So I don't know what you've been told, but I know that you know the truth when you hear it. And I know clouds can cover those things up, and I'm just hoping that some of them get moved away so that you will at least grab on to the truth that we have never been separated from our Creator, the love of our Creator. It's no different than if you had an um, art talent or a painting talent and you did this beautiful painting. It was your idea to make this painting. You are never separated from that idea. Well, we are the idea of our Creator. We are here because of our Creator's idea, and we are never separated. And I know for a long time I felt separated. I know today there's nothing I can do to separate myself from my Creator. The only place that I can do that is in my thinking. I can think that I am separated. 
we're going to be getting into getting into those kinds of topics about how our thoughts shape our reality. I've got some great analogies that I hope to help you out along that way. But I hope you'll hang out with us. Come and, and meet the guests that we'll have. Again, this is a journey. It's a one-day-at-a-time journey. I hope that something resonated with you tonight and that you'll be back. And again, my desire for you is that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. With that, I'm going to sign off. Love and kindness to all of you. Share your stories, people. It's what keeps it solid in you, gives you room to get more of that story, more experiences to share. Bless you all. Thank you.